0: Welcome back to Noise Avocation Podcast, the weekly show on all things music-related. I am Ryan, here with Jeremy, as always.
1: How's everybody doing today?
0: Today we have Tanner and Carl from Majesty's on the show with us. And if you have not checked out Majesty's Vast Reaches Unclaimed yet, it is out via 20 Bucks Spin. And, I mean, it's phenomenal. Like, I don't have any other descriptive words yeah. other than phenomenal to put out there for you, you like, just hit
1: play no yeah. skips it's fantastic
0: <laughs> if you're a fan of at the gates dark tranquility um gates of ishtar the absence and flames in flames uh, dissection you know winter sun that sort of thing anything that's melodic and metal if you're a fan of that definitely check this out you will love it i can promise you that um, we're going to. And if you haven't heard melodic death metal, this would be a good place. Oh to yeah, go. yeah, yeah. I guess start. I didn't think about that. Like you never if you're, know. yeah, there could be somebody out there. So any, that's yeah. Like, any, what the fuck is anybody
1: that? out there? Check this out.
0: But yeah, you can uh, follow the podcast on Instagram at Noise uh, you can follow us on Facebook at Noise Advocation Podcast. Same thing on YouTube. You can email us at noiseadvocation at gmail.com. If you're an artist, record label owner, musician, whatever, and you're interested in getting on the show, please feel free to reach out and we'll squeeze you into a schedule. You can follow me at Soundwave Slave on Instagram and Jeremy.
1: You can follow me at holdfast underscore 51 7. That's my IG account.
0: We're going to give you guys the uh, preview of a track from Vast Reaches Unclaimed, which is Across the Neverwind. So we're going to play that and then we'll jump into the interview with Tanner and Carl here. We have Tanner and Carl here from Majesties. Um, If you guys want to go ahead and just introduce yourselves so people can match voices
2: with names, go ahead. Hi, I'm Carl Skildum. Hey, this is Tanner Anderson.
0: And for any new listeners, I'm Ryan. And I'm Jeremy. So, one, thank you guys for taking the time to join us. I appreciate it. I know you've been probably getting hit up left and right since the new release by different podcasts and stuff because it seems like every uh, week I see a new one popping up that interviewed you guys.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, we've definitely been pretty busy, but it's been a lot of fun to be able to talk about the record.
3: Oh, yeah. yeah I would it's imagine. A, it's a total treat just to uh, have anyone interested and excited. We We're happy to Always happy to talk
0: about it. Well, the record was definitely exciting. Yeah, uh, it was a breath of fresh air for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah congratulations you. on it, man. Yeah,
1: you know, we can't stop listening to it. Yeah, I love it. It's badass. It's refreshing, like Ryan said.
2: Well, yeah, thank you so much. Are are you both like fans of old melodic death metal too? Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. So it reminds me. So I'm 32 for reference, and it just reminds me of like. Junior high, I was big into dark tranquility and at the gates and gates of Ishtar and the absence and stuff like that. So it reminded me a lot of that. And it was something that I haven't heard many bands do, or at least not do it well lately.
2: You know, one of the cool things about doing a lot of these podcasts is like finding out that for so many people in one iteration or another of melodic death metal has sort of been their entry point. And so it sort of feels like comfort food in a way.
0: Yeah. It was definitely exactly that, yeah. Because when I first stumbled across it, it, was when the first single came out. I follow 20 Bucks Spin on Instagram, and I always take into consideration what they're releasing because to me, I think they have some of the best new releases coming out today. And I pitched it to Jeremy, and I was like, dude, you got to check out this band. They're fucking amazing. And we've been trying to get hard copies of the album
2: ever since.
0: But I believe they're on the way <laughs> they're now. They're on the way. I own, we do this podcast in the back of my record store. So I own a record store in Michigan.
2: Oh, that's awesome. That's cool.
0: And I had a slight delay getting them in store, and uh, but they're on the way now. So. Oh, very cool. One thing I did want to ask first before we get into stuff about the album. You guys are from Minneapolis, if I'm correct, yeah?
3: Yes. Are yes. either
0: of you Replacements fans by chance?
3: I would say I know their songs casually, but I wouldn't say I'm an expert on their music. I mean, you kind of have to know them around here because you can't <laughs> right. escape it. Yeah.
0: Um, I didn't know maybe. if it'd be like one of those things where it was like, yeah, they're like hometown heroes and they're awesome. Or they're like, I've heard the shit out of these guys. I'm tired of it.
3: I mean, we've got so many hometown heroes. For me, I love Prince. Yeah, so I was that... going to say, Prince is like the fucking king out there. <laughs> yeah, Prince is the king. <laughs> okay. um,
2: yeah, well, of course. Um, uh, the band Low, for sure, is uh, oh, yep. yeah. one celebrated.
0: Yeah, there are quite a few good bands that come out of Minneapolis. Like, not even just uh, lately, but just in general. I mean, I think it's a, you guys don't get, a credit often enough for how many good musicians you've put
2: out of there Who's Du oh yeah who's Du I I
0: love that man
2: yeah I mean I guess a lot of people do sort of like do something cool and it seems to be noticed later or they move and seem to establish themselves somewhere else so like no one attributes them to being from
0: Minneapolis Yeah. yeah I could see that happening everybody tends to be from California
2: Yeah, I recently learned. I think it's that band Luminous Vault from New York. That guy, Mario Diaz de Leon, is from Minneapolis or St. Paul. And yeah, I just never would have known until I listened to a solo album.
1: And you always thought he was from New York?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's probably safe to assume, like, right, right. LA or New York, that of course they're not, (laughs) you know. I mean, it's different if it's like a death metal band from Long Island, then you can definitely assume. (laughs) Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> well, yeah with their accents, you totally know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like, this one's going out to my fucking boys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this project began by you and Carl just kind of messing around, tossing riffs back and forth to each other. How did they not fit into, because Obscure and Majesties both have a lot of similarities, how did you guys decide that you weren't going to use them for the one band and wanted to make a whole separate project out of it?
2: Well, maybe Carl could speak to this, but I was just going to say, like for me, it's I definitely don't think anything in Majesties would fit in obsequiae. But I'm curious what Carl would say.
3: Yeah, there's a. I get that there's a similar feeling because you can, you know, you can recognize Tanner's guitar playing. Um, you know, I, Tanner. I always think of you've got a very distinct feel, and you know, you've you've always been one of my favorite guitar players to, to listen to and very recognizable. So I pick up that, but I, I know also that Obsequia has, and I don't want to say rules, but it, it does have a base in medieval and early music that has specific scales that don't, or don't necessarily get used in Majesties, where Majesties were kind of ne- not necessarily required to use those the way that Obsequi um, tends to use a little bit more of those uh, structures are based on medieval music.
2: I was sort of thinking, like too, like one of the tenets of melodic death metal, even if it's different than something like Iron Maiden, is just like thirds. Like the Jester race is full of parallel thirds, even though a lot of things make it pretty special, like the way those phrases begin. But like those kinds of harmonies are things that, I definitely don't incorporate into the Sequoia must much, much less even the modes of like where that would come from. Yeah. It is interesting just tonally because I don't think like that's an unfounded uh, like claim or just an idea because it's melodic and it's metal. So like, why, why wouldn't this go with, with that? Right. But yeah. I definitely think I've sort of created some rules, definitely. So I plan on breaking in the future, but like, yeah, Carl, I, I definitely would say rules like, there are things I just don't allow myself to do with obsequia because I feel like it compromises, uh, in integrity, even if that's kind of like, you know, kind of ridiculous to say. Well, yeah,
1: of. you have your own rules to follow, you know, that's uh that's cool. It's kind of a survival mechanism too. Yeah. Because you,
3: if you, if you say the world is my oyster and I can do whatever I want, and then you, you can run into a, just a, a case where you've got, so many different directions you're chasing and that it, it becomes hard for the listener to figure out who you are. And so I think, you know, when I heard "Obsequiae" the first time, you know, it really, right. As I was getting to know Tanner, it, it was obvious to me that this isn't just, you know, a genre thing that Tanner decided to do, you know, along with everybody else. It was, some, it was an idea that he hadn't really made it specific and made it his own and that was what really drew me to that band in the first place when we he and I were talking when Tanner was working at a at a, at a bar and I was talking with him and he said yeah you know any guitar players who want to who might want to help bring them to a live format and I said well yeah I do you know? it was <laughs> no question it was I didn't even have to think about it because it was so unique and and I, I, I appreciate that That having that unique vision for for a band is kind of like, so it's the easiest way to get it really productive fast because you're not trying to figure out what the sound is going to be.
0: I've heard people refer to it as castle metal. Is that something that you guys coined or was that something that you just kind of got lumped into?
2: We did coin it. Yeah, it's actually, its origins go back to a friend named Nico in like 2009, who at a party told me he had bought the cassette at this place, um, Hard Times in Minneapolis. And he was like, oh, I like it. It's really castly. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's um, awesome. I mean,
2: I was just thinking like, you know, hell yeah. And so it sort of became a joke. Um, and I think when we had a Facebook page, I guess when I had Facebook, which is I haven't for, I think, eight or nine years, but. Well, the page like the URL was like, the epicus Dumicus metallicus, but it was like Castlecus metallicus, <laughs> uh, like that kind of thing. Yeah, but, like play so, on candlemass. So we've played with it enough that I guess people know it, but I guess maybe haven't attributed it to us, which is fine. There are other castle metal bands now, which is completely amazing and flattering.
0: What are some of the other bands? Because you guys are the only ones that I really know of.
2: Um, I guess uh, one of one of um is like a good friend. I guess a lot of them are good friends. We castle metal people tend to find one another, but uh, Eric from a band called Mork from Minneapolis is definitely moving in a castle metal direction. And I guess Deathless Vessel, so mutual friend of Carl and mine.
0: Okay, I have a friend that does dungeon synth music and he runs his own label and his project is called Elevalon. And he definitely like has that castle feel to it in some of his stuff. and i we interviewed him a while back on the show, and I told him that the one album that he put out made you sound like you were it's something you would play while like storming Castle Gates. And I said that to him, and he was like, "Yeah, that's honestly exactly what I was going for on it. And I showed him both majesties and obsequia. And he was like, man, both these bands neck and neck are amazing. Like, I love it. And uh, so I told him I was gonna bring him up to you guys just to so you're familiar with at least his name of his project. But he yeah, has a see. few different bands. Uh, Barrow King is one of them. That's kind of like Conan lore inspired. And then Ellavilon is the dungeon synth project. But you he... saw that one. Ellavilon. Yeah. It's E-L-Y-V-I-L-O-N. Okay.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm pulling it up on Bank Camp right now. And then Sweet, yeah. the Barrow
0: King back. is just obviously Barrow King. Um, that one only has one song out so far. He's still working on that stuff. But, I mean, if you ever need some synth-style dungeon music for an obsequiae <laughs> project, feel free to get a hold of them.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean... Um... I don't know if you know of like he definitely does but like there's a something called the northeast dungeon siege and the one that's happening next is actually march 31st okay. um April 2nd um i'm in boston but it's in worcester massachusetts so it's like oh that's close an hour west and like Malafet nest from finland summer Arcane. it's just a ton of it's like three days of you know watching people larp and stuff it's it's fun
0: Yeah, I had never even heard the term Dungeon Synth until he lives a few hours from here, but he comes up here every now and then, and I have all his stuff, his projects for sale in the store, and hes it seems like every time he comes in, he has a new project that comes up. When he told me he was making Dungeon Synth music, I was like, what the fuck is Dungeon Synth (laughs) music? (laughs) Like, I'd never heard the term before.
2: Have you ever heard of, um, uh, like, Cozy Synth? Yeah, I've heard that thrown around. Just like uh, Grandma's Cottage.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: All the cookie names. That's pretty great. I, I do like that. It is funny, like talk about like Castle Metal, like Dungeon Synth uh, sort of like came from Mortis, but he didn't really necessarily call himself Dungeon Synth. It was just like Dark Dungeons music was sort of his imprint. Mm-hmm. And then Cold Meat would put it out, I guess. But yeah, it's just funny how those genres sort of retroactively happen it'd be kind of cool if maybe like that happened with castle metal if some bands were just sort of claimed you know i guess it would be very flattering for me but i guess sort of like there's a lot of crossover with dungeon synth right now as like more and more people are playing around with synthesis and like doing a lot more analog stuff as opposed to just like midi blocks in whatever DAW they're using you know yeah it could start to go the way of tangerine dream uh, or something uh. So long as people are wearing, like, battle-ready gear.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Majesties, if I'm correct, started around 2015, and you guys had the tracks done for quite a while, from what I remember hearing, around 2016-17. What made you choose to wait until recently to release those tracks?
3: well yeah it was 20 2017 i think i was just checking on my phone to see when we had the track list figured out and that that was the date that i found so we worked fast because it was just like you said earlier tanner and i sitting in, in front of the computer passing the guitar back and forth and just kind of geeking out the whole time and so it, it was a lot of stuff i think like an almost almost 20 different song ideas and we we scraped them down to 10 that we thought would make a good album from that point on we like the original idea wasn't that it was going to be just Tanner and I we we wanted to have other people on board and so that's really what took some time is figuring out who would come along for the ride and Matt came on board pretty early on in those discussions that we wanted to have him work with us at, on a on the bass but figuring out vocals and drums that that's what took a, a lot more time i think you know we we kind of went through the list of our friends who who were vocalists and or drummers and and tried to figure out who who was going to want to do this and it took that always takes time you know people have to get familiar with it you know think about what they're going to do with the material what uh, what different approaches they're going to take to it and and that's really uh kind of why it ended up being a couple extra years of just sort of you know we we were being patient and working working with friends of ours who are, you know, kind of thinking their way around the material and what is this going to fit in with schedules? And, you know, eventually, I think it was around 2019, we realized that uh, for whatever reason, just schedules or availability, it was going to make sense for the, the three of us just to move ahead and finish this on our own. So that's kind of when we made the decision to start really getting serious about finalizing the recordings and, We re-recorded all the guitars in 2019 just to get everything you know sounding uh ready to hear Mm. and um, and then the pandemic came and and that slowed us down a little bit too but
0: yeah which was a terrible time to try to release a record for sure
3: yeah or record one yeah yeah or
0: even record one at that so originally tanner you weren't set to do vocals on the majesty album then
2: correct yeah
0: So the answer was just right in front of you guys the whole time then on the vocal side, (laughs) as you're trying to figure that out, you're like, Oh yeah, we have this guy.
2: I mean, Carl and Matt could have done it too. I don't know. I don't even, when I think back, I don't even remember if it was just like a group. I don't, I mean, obviously everything's a group decision, but like, I don't remember quite how that happened. Actually it was a little blurry in the beginning of the pandemic when we started talking about it because yeah, like, no one's fault, but our, our vocalists had to just sort of bow out and we're great friends. It was not about music or anything like that. So, yeah, it, it just sort of happened.
1: Well, I have a question for Tanner. You went to uh, music school and dropped out. Like, what, what brought you to the guitar when you were a kid?
2: Uh, definitely, you know, metal, extreme metal of all kinds. That's just sort of what made like me.
1: Just started listening to bands when you were 14, 15, and just wanted to jam or
2: uh, earlier than that too. I oh, mean, right um, on. I just kind of, I don't know. I, I always really liked um, metal. I'm not trying to be like uh, when I was six, I was listening to, no, Angel, no, no, but, not <laughs> at all. you know, but I definitely was one of those kids that like, if you were listening to Pantera, I found something heavier, you know? And so yeah, I just yeah, yeah. kept doing that. And if anything, it was like kind of one of those, like, I want to find something, more underground always. And then, you know, I ended up around like a bunch of people that just like, that's what listened to. And a lot of it was at a record store that I went to. And then I started working at when I was 16. So living the dream. Yeah.
0: What record store did you work at?
2: I worked at Nightfall Records in Minneapolis, the original location. Um, I think it's sort of poorly remembered after 2001, because like the dude who ran it, ran it out of his apartment, supposedly, I don't know. So uh, it was a storefront and a label. And we put out albums by Forest of Impaled, Sarcophagus, you know, Jesus Iscariot, is Psy Project, and just a bunch of, bunch of pretty cool bands, Bloodstorm.
0: Do you still collect, collect records Impaled. currently or no?
2: No, not as much, um but I definitely you know did uh, handled a lot of mail order at the store and you know ordered a lot of things for myself i I did buy used as well, so I got a lot of things that like definitely a sixteen year old shouldn't have their hands on, both like zines shirts, you know yeah. uh, points of contact, you know all that stuff, so
0: I was the same way. I always tried to look for the heavier, more underground things like and Pantera would have been a good reference point to where if you were listening to that, I was trying to find what was, I don't want to say cooler, but less known, you know, because I always thought there was something more to appreciating the people who weren't in the spotlight of things.
2: For me, I think, yeah, I, I hear hear you. Like, there was something about, like, going through Metal Maniacs the first time and, like, looking at these bands and kind of realizing, like, it was a lot different than the hit parade right next to it, where there was, like, this really awkward sex appeal to these bands and then you'd like look at a band like Obituary and you're like, oh, okay, like they don't care. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Total Heshers, you yeah. know.
0: I, sexiest I- guys in metal. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. So like I kind of felt like this has to be right.
0: <laughs> and they put out some of the greatest death metal of all time, I think. Even like their latest record was so fucking good. phenomenal.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um That song, My Will to Live on yep. that new album is... Incredible. There's definitely some accidental like I don't think they probably listen to Eternal Champion, but um that song has some Eternal Champion riffs like crazy. If anyone's listening to this, you should listen to Ravening Iron and that back to back.
1: It's like riff or riff or what?
2: Oh I mean the, the like the pacing and the um chord changes and yeah, there's a lot of like a lot of so
0: crazy when
1: that
2: happens. Um for that song, My Will to Live, yeah.
0: Hey, you have to wonder if it was by coincidence or if they were like they heard it and they're like, oh we could carry this over into our own music somehow.
2: Yeah, I have no idea. I mean'm i I'm not about to accuse obituary of plagiarism right, you know, right. I'm, I'm about to see them you know hopefully in May so
0: they're a excellent live band if you've never seen them. Uh, what, <laughs> no like, one of the no. best live bands I've ever seen.
3: Oh yeah, they're great.
0: They don't try to do anything flashy. They don't try to, like, kill you with stage presence. It's just they play good, they play loud, and they play... It's like they're better live than on a studio album, I would say. Yeah, yeah. So you're seeing them with... uh, Who are they on tour with? Immolation, Blood Incantation, and... I'm going to skip the last name because I don't remember. Integrity, maybe, or something like that.
2: Yeah, I'm honestly not sure. I just know those three for sure.
0: So... Blood Incantation. I have a question about. Mm-hmm. Obviously, dissection was probably an influence on you guys, as far as the melodic side of things goes.
2: Not, not as much uh, for me, but I, I do love like the Sombre Lane. Yeah. Though.
0: So there's a band called Stormkeep. I don't know mm-hmm. if either of you have heard of them, but they are there's members of Blood Incantation in that band. Oh yeah. And
3: yeah, it's yeah. It's awesome. Okay. I cool. would like those records. Yeah, yeah
2: they were
0: both great. Bitchin'. And there's another band called Thulcandra that is, you know how gruesome is kind of like an ode to death? Thulcandra, I would say, is like an ode to dissection.
3: Yeah, I just, uh, they, they just came through Minneapolis, and I, I got to see them. I, I've been a fan of theirs for a long time, and it was a treat. They're, I think they may still be on tour. This was, this was just a few weeks ago, so they're... They, as far as I know, it was the first time they had been through Minneapolis. So it was awesome. Oh, modest.
2: Carl opened for him.
3: <laughs> oh, wow. That's sweet. Yeah. Now, I know you yeah. guys are a, kind of apart,
1: but do you have any plans on trying to uh, go out live or anything like that?
3: Well, we, we recently announced that we've got a, a new drummer. John Kerr uh, has joined us, and he's he's also a, an old friend of ours. So it's it's really – it feels good, and we're <laughs> – we're not really thinking about shows in the short term because we want to write some music together. So that's what we've been been working on. Well, right. Cause best.
1: this is already like way old to you guys. So I could see why you'd want to do new stuff.
3: Yeah. I mean, I still love all these songs. They're fresh, but fresh to me, but also they've been with us for a long time. And so we didn't stop when, you know, in 2017, when we had those songs, you know, Tanner and I still would get together randomly and, you know, write new stuff. So there's, there's a lot to sort through, but part of the fun is just also writing new stuff. Now that we have had a chance to hear this final project, it's all really been only in the last year that we had the mastered and mixed versions of it so that you really get a sense of what it's going to sound like and having, so it's still fresh to us, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, And that, that makes it exciting to keep trying to you know, do some do new music that is worthwhile sitting next to what what uh, we have done with the first record.
1: Yeah, it's mixed on uh, amazingly too. I love how the vocals sit in it. Thanks. Thank you. It's like they're almost kind of just right under, and you have that like haunting scream that I love, and uh, it sounds good. You know, I like it.
2: Thanks so much. Yeah, it was uh, it's always really fun to find how those things are going to sit in a mix, and also just to kind of differentiate it from our primary bands. Right. That primary sec, this is somehow secondary, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. So you did drums on the album, Tanner. Yeah.
2: I mean, I, yeah, we could get into that. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I, obviously the answer is programmed, but I, you know, had kind of gone back and forth, uh, but as the pandemic kind of, Really started happening and like even doing things with like my actual kit and like going in and doing some cheat moves because I'm just not as good of a drummer as this album has, you know, like those drums. So I ended up just like going into the program patterns and things that I was already working on and just sort of painstakingly kind of like going through and putting it all together. And then, yeah, we worked with Adam Tucker to mix it.
0: So the drums are programmed.
2: They are, um, Mm -hmm. which brings up a good question. Why did the drums, why were they credited as drums and not drum programming? I (laughs) got to go
0: back to Reddit and tell this guy I was wrong.
2: (laughs) I mean, like it's already out of the bag. Like we've talked about this, but I think in general, like people just think that when you program drums, you're not serious or you know people just like to make up their minds i think it's a lot better if people don't focus on something that they're going to get hung up on and just listen to it as it is especially when you consider like for one a lot of albums i mean all all recordings are cheating you know like no one's setting up two microphones in a room and doing this in one take you know but there are also just a lot of tricks to drum production in general you know of things of like sound replacing things just so they sit better in a mix and um i'm not saying that programmed drums you know solve that or something like ideally i think we would have done something differently but we're incredibly pleased with the result otherwise we wouldn't have done this but there was also sort of the like for me like moving from minneapolis to boston you know like there was certainly a, like a time limit and this made sense so
0: i mean you could kept it a secret and honestly i probably wouldn't have really yeah, known. like they sound it's come great. a
1: long way since yeah. i've you know since they first started you know you can't find a drummer and you get it sounds fake and now you can't even tell
3: yeah that, that's really the thing is if, if it was because we've all heard those those records but i mean i i'm the same way when i when i first thought of program drums i i remembered you know the a little little electronic Alesis machines, uh-huh. that gets, gets it down and you tap on a pad, and and yeah. everything sounded like great for for different kinds of music that that have a robotic beat, but it doesn't really make sense with heavy metal. So we've all heard those heard those records, and I will gladly admit that I had that hang up for a while too. But now, hearing, you know, really, it's it's the amount of work that Tanner put into it to make it sound just like what he wanted to hear in his head and what he would play as a drummer, um, yeah. that made all the difference in the world.
0: Yeah, it's impressive that, I mean, you made him sound that lifelike because getting an electronic sound to sound, to have the clarity that an actual drum kit would have, I mean, it's definitely a challenge. I
2: would disagree, but I only think it's just because of like a program like Superior Drummer. It's funny, like Carl, might be able to comment on this but like when I bounced the stems of those drums for example like I didn't I didn't like spit out MIDI I spit out like bottom of the snare top of the snare mm. you know like I, I think there were 30 stems for the drums I mean that's insane you I could have just like bounced a stereo some if I trusted you know all this to be fine but like I did some stacking you know some things that I think anyone would do, you know, like I, I really like (laughs) like wooden hoops on aluminum snares, you know, and stuff like that. So I wanted that sound in there, but I also wanted like if the heaviness and impact is going to be the lowest frequency around 200, I want those like harmonics to ring true when guitars are chugging at like a higher frequency. So like, you know, I'd stack like a purely electronic snare within the uh, acoustic Performance, I guess, you know, so that those things sort of like trigger themselves. So when I had brought these drums to Adam, like I think I had 32 stems around. So, like, bottom of the snare, top of the snare, overheads, ambient mics, room mics, and stuff like that. And within Superior Drummer, it's like really fun to create your own buses because it's practically its own DAW. So, like, you can get a lot of cool dynamics and the funny thing is like when I bounced it, of course, like when all those things are at like full volume, you know, like a snare and your room mics, like it sounds insanely, I wouldn't even say real. It just sounds like a big mess of like someone playing in a garage, you know? And so when you, when I, when we gave that to Adam and we're like giving references for like, this is how we want the drum production to go. The way he treated it, it's not like he made it sound like programmed drums. He, I don't think he did, but it definitely like the dynamics that. I sort of painstakingly programmed definitely got a little more polished and punchy and it made me nervous, but I still thought it really suited the, the mix, you know, yeah, well, it, it came
0: through nicely for sure.
2: Um, and a lot of like, I really thought it was fun too, because like I write all the drums for Obsequiae as well, even though Owen performs them. And so I love just like practicing things like this, where it's just like constantly like straight into triplet, you know, like, um, 16th notes and stuff and just like practicing those rudiments <laughs> downstairs during a pandemic I would have loved to have gotten up to you know like actually play this on the recording but it just wasn't f- feasible for me
0: I did see a clip of uh, obsequia playing live recently on instagram do you guys have any plans to release a live album by chance
2: no I mean ostensibly we just did it's just free um, but because it's not like packaged, I guess people are like, there are comments like, is 20 bucks going to put this out on LP or something like that? Like Dave did offer from 20 bucks, man, but like for us, we had a lot of things kind of go wrong. Like most people did during the pandemic. So like we had a bunch of rehearsals and of course, like when you're arranging all of that with people who are coming from like out of state to rehearse with you and then your shows are canceled, like, you're in the hole, you know. It's not like the guarantees for one-offs are great. Like it's it's usually good if you can break even, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, just kind of like doing that again was like a labor of love and and we wanted to do it. But there also a lot of people who like came to Minneapolis for our show that we had to cancel there's a COVID thing with um, both opening bands. So we had to, we weren't just going to be like, Oh, we'll just play, you know, like it, it would have been a hot mess. Like the promoter was out, like that show was done. So like we wanted to have something to give to people who had traveled all this way. And I kind of felt like for a lot of the pandemic, there were people that couldn't, you know, come to fire in the mountains or Northwest terror because of like COVID yeah, or it was family, hard to travel and stuff. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the the choice to make that free was like very deliberate. I know we could have capitalized on that.
0: I mean, I the clips sounded great. Like i I know a lot of people like working in the record store. I've heard this go both ways, where some people love live albums and some people can't stand them. And I don't. I mean, obviously, there's some better than others, but like Obituary just did those two live records that were technically live studio albums i mean they recorded them all as a live performance but it wasn't like from a show so it was kind of worded a little weird but they did sound really really good and like the clips that i've seen of you guys sounded phenomenal so that's why i was wondering if they were going to go on a record or not
2: no definitely not
0: so Carl, you mentioned that you guys had about 20-ish songs and you slimmed it down to 10. So do you guys plan to take the remaining songs and release another Majesty's album? Or are you writing all new material with John included and then releasing another album down the road?
3: I think we'll probably... I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we mine for bits and pieces from those older songs. I know that there have been one or two things that I, I... have from those those uh, early riff tapes because that's really what they are is there's more they're you know a lot of riff collections rather than you know completed songs in, in most of those cases. but you know we may pull one or two things but not. I think like it said, said earlier, it's just sort of fun to be writing again now and knowing what the first record sounds like is to you know try to really keep that as a focal point. I don't know. We we still just like to write, so I think it's it's just kind of a selfish thing that we want to just have that immediate reward of hearing new riffs in this this uh, format that we like.
0: Do you think that since you guys didn't really have a whole lot of pressure to put this album out, the Majesty's album, do you think that added to how well it turned out? Like as opposed to if you're going to write a second record, now you have
3: expectations to live up to. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say sometimes I have those moments of uh oh no, what have we done? But they're few and far between. I, I think I, I try to not let myself get too worried about like second album, yeah, sophomore slump or whatever that that is. Cause I, I think mostly I just feel like you know it would have been different if this would have come out and it would have just kind of been swallowed up by the millions of other records that come out and nobody would have noticed, but I'm glad they did. And that at least for me makes me feel like, well, not only is this for us, but it's also for, for everyone else who's interested in this sound. And that's, that means it's worthwhile to see what we can do to, to live up to the standard that we set on this first record.
2: I'm maybe a little more naive, but I'm also way more optimistic just because like there's not a chance um our second record won't be better than this one like in my opinion because we're we're making genre records you know with with this so far at least like i know that there are exceptions to the rule but within metal um i really don't like let me rephrase this like a lot of the things that i grew up really loving i couldn't stand it when those bands changed like i realize a big part of that's me i'm not saying like this is this wasn't like this isn't healthy to do that it is very healthy but when you're going for a style as niche as ours talk about like rules and parameters like you're talking about a matter of years of kind of things to mine from even if it's not entirely musical and it's more kind of atmospheric uh just like the overall like kind of ethos of these bands it's not like we need to search hard for inspiration like we will once again make a melodic death metal record that sounds like something that should have come out 30 years ago like that's just what's going to happen and we have archives of riffs (laughs) that are just sick as fuck and the stuff that we're writing right now is also coincidentally sick as fuck so it's not a chance If it's not as good, it's our fault, (laughs) and it's going to be good. (laughs) So,
0: when you guys are writing riffs for Majesties, how do you decide? I know you said you have sort of rules and parameters as to what goes to what project, but what, like, if you say Carl comes up with a riff, what helps you decide, like, okay, we're going to use this for Obsequia, or we're going to use this for Majesties? Like, how
3: do you make that choice? Well, really. I don't write anything for obsequiae. I'm a live member, so that really makes that super simple. Is that oh, Tanner? Okay. All, all the obsequiae material comes from from Tanner. So we, and These this is this so is much what's, much I, much, what's really helpful for me is that we have all got multiple bands and diff- different interests, and I never let myself have an unstructured writing session where I'm I say. I'm just going to play some riffs and see what band I'm going to stick these to. Cause I, I'd get to, it would mess my brain up too much. So I always have to say tonight I'm going to write for okay. you know, majesties or tonight it's in exorum or antiverse. I mean, so I will, will set aside, you know, that writing time and I'll put my brain into the mode of I'm specifically writing for this band.
2: Yeah. I would also add that like, for me, it's intimidating as hell. It's really intimidating for me to write obsequious music. Like I can write riffs all day, but like so can most people that write riffs, you know, like that's not the only skill you need. <laughs> you know, you need to be able to arrange things. You need to know like how all this stuff is going to come together, how to make it cohesive. Again, with like melodic death metal, I was joking um the other day that like when I'm writing for obsequia and then I accidentally like start writing a Gothenburg melodic death metal riff, like it's time for bed, you know? (laughs) It's like a first language, you know? It's something I try to actively avoid when doing that. So it's incredibly easy because I've been playing that style for so long and it's sort of, yeah, it's sort of my, my comfort food and I feel like for Carl as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: It's not intimidating to think about writing. It's very fun and it's, you know, our friendship really is, like tied into this band. I mean, it's out, outside of it too, but like, this is how we really became friends was playing music together and choosing to do Majesties did that as well. So like, it's a great thing for our friendship.
1: There's nothing better, man. Yeah. It's really the best. Hell yeah. What? Now, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, dude. I was just wondering I've about stealing the oh, talking. Oh, whole it's time. cool. I was thinking, <laughs> how did you guys come up with the idea for the artwork and having I believe it, it's Juan Cas- something Castellano Yeah, did, did your um, cover. And it, so... it fucking looks cool as shit, man. It's like a <laughs> fucked up landscape that you don't want to yeah. like visit.
2: <laughs> yeah, no one's going to
1: vacation there. No, you just like looking at it from afar. But it's fucking awesome looking, man.
2: It's the weirdest verbo of all time.
3: <laughs> yeah, it, it was really, you know, we, we had an idea that we wanted to have the just general lyrics be sort of surreal stories about traveling through different parts of the world that uh, were hidden or, you know, just kind of fantastical ideas that, that uh, didn't really conform to a lot of logic um, like, a, like a dream world almost. And so that was sort of a what we had in mind as just a general idea for the lyrics. And when we were writing, Tanner would, would always pull up surrealist artwork for us to to look at while we would be listening back to the playbacks of what we had just recorded. And and that really helped me to sort of internalize that feeling. Is, does it, does it feel like this is not, you know, everyday stuff that I'm hearing, but is it taking me somewhere? Do I feel like I'm transported anywhere? And so that always was in the back of our heads. It's a rad but, idea
1: to hang fucking art while you're writing fucking riffs and shit.
3: Yeah. You
2: know, I took that idea from someone. Yeah, um, that's certain... fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I keep learning like Matt Kirkwald our you know, in Majesties as well has told me some things that maybe seem like common sense, but uh, like sort of fundamentally changed how I listen and hear what I'm creating to you is just for one mix with your eyes closed, you know, like you can make all kinds of adjustments, you know, are right, but does it sound good? You know, don't trust an EQ analyzer, you know, just because it, says one frequency is boosting and in a way that's like destructive but similarly like um jason walton from Agalock um had mentioned that like especially when don lived in new york and they were in oregon um that they would do that as well they'd say this song needs to be like for example an ocean you know it's i'm not pulling from you know anything truthful here but like this specific mood and so I I always have found that to be helpful. And, yeah, if anyone's listening who writes music, you should try it. It's, like, a really cool exercise.
0: I love Agalock. They're a great band. I could totally see how that would apply to them, the, the hanging the pictures and listening with your eyes closed and that sort of thing, because they're a very atmospheric band.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: I like that whole taking a sensation away so then, like, like, your hearing will work better because your eyes are closed or whatever. That's amazing.
2: Yeah, definitely. Like, dulling some senses can... Heighten can others. Help. Yeah. So
0: what made you guys land on the name
3: Majesties for the band? I think, Tanner, that's something you just had, had in the back of your mind for a while.
2: Yeah, I was holding on to it for, you know, the great band I was going to form one day.
3: hmm Yep. Yeah. <clears throat>
2: And of course it's like risky because you're just, you know, you check like Metal Archives or something for looking for a band that has this name or something. So pressure was on. We had kind of considered some others, like every band who comes up with a band name and we came on that.
0: Do you care to share some of the others? Or are you saving them for more projects?
3: Uh Carl, do you want to? <laughs> um I don't remember too many others that we talked about. There there was Originally, and I think maybe it might have made it online in an interview on something else, but there is an uh, original idea for it to be called Held of Leaf, and that did make it in as a lyric, but we, we just kind of found that maybe wasn't quite the name that worked for us as a band name. So I don't know. I don't, it's not really a great story, but we, uh, we did work it in as a, as a song lyric.
2: yeah for anyone that doesn't know what a keld is meaning a hundred percent of the people listening it's like an archaic (laughs) uh last word for like a fount you know like a um something that like you know water would come out of uh so and then leave of course is like basically oblivion you know so where did
0: you um you seem to have a lot of different terms that are unfamiliar to most people. Like obsequiae is... I looked up the definition for this earlier, and I'm probably going to screw this up, but it's like the last rites read at a funeral, a Catholic funeral in Latin, if I remember correctly, or something of that sort.
2: Yeah, it's for a mass funeral. Okay, um, Where do really, you, where really do you get this
0: stuff? Like, like <laughs> where does um, it come to you inspiration-wise?
2: Well, I'd love to say that I'm like someone who appreciates literature, but like, I don't have time for book learning. So I listened to gourmet you know, from um, Sweden and they had a seven inch called obsequies. Originally I was like, I wanted to call it um, obfuscate, which is what a stupid name. Fortunately, there was some dude in Michigan of all places who had copyrighted it. And um, <laughs> oh, shit. yeah, so I think I just landed on that because it was another OBS name and I just thought, I don't know. I think I was also listening to that band Obsecration from Greece, The Inheritors of Pain, uh, arguably maybe their only record in the style that that it is. Uh, it's really unique. Death Metal album, slower pace, a lot of atmosphere. So I don't know. I was like really looking at that logo and yeah, I just came across that. But like, yeah, really it's, I guess, just kind of good heavy metal strategy to like look for, look to antiquity or look to things that Maybe aren't quite as understood because then it can make you seem sophisticated or like you're holding on to something that someone else doesn't have. Again, very yeah, it sounds young. fucking
3: metal. Yeah, like,
2: you know, I'm, I'm young, I'm insecure, like that's what I want, <laughs> you know? So when yeah. I started, so yeah. Yeah, um, it
0: definitely um, does add a certain type of lore to the, the project itself. Like it. It makes you want to dig deeper than, and this is no disrespect to Dying Fetus, but like, obviously that was a band name that was just like, dude, that sounds fucking horrifying. So let's just have that. Um, It's cool when people put a little more thought into it than just like, "Uh, what can we do for shock value? Like, it's more of, well, what can we do that will make people go, what the fuck is that?
2: (laughs) And kind of something that's like, it can mean different things over the course of... You know, it's its own lifespan. You know, like I'm not sure what I meant there in putting this besides ripping off like Gourmet, but you know, of course. Now the planet's dying more, and I could, you know, if I wanted to be a crust band tomorrow, it'd be super easy with that band, old funeral, you know. So,
0: so how did you? I know Obsequia is on twenty bucks spin. I don't believe Antiverse or inexorum was. How did you guys end up on twenty bucks spin originally?
3: Well, I think Tanner, you didn't you send Dave a couple just early demos and uh, just as a more of a hey, this is something fun that we're working on and. I think you mentioned he liked them and wanted to hear more once we finished. I
2: actually forget if I even sent him anything. I think I might have just mentioned it and maybe at some point sent him something. But if this happened, it would have been like back in 2017,
3: not. Yeah, way back. But
2: yeah, I think there was definitely, because we had maybe some other places we probably could have shopped it. They've um, just sort of snagged it up and like dave loves melodic death metal it just makes a lot of sense like that was one thing we bonded over when i first signed with 20 bucks spin with the i was talking about a lot of those old bands i mean you talk about dissection like dave worked for necropolis records it was his first record store or record label job okay. and he you know, I did the know layout for the past is alive i mean he he definitely has an appreciation for the throwback stuff that he's credited for, you know, because he grew up with it as well. Yeah. Pretty much blind
1: buy from that label and you know, you're going to get something good. Yep.
2: Yeah.
0: We've yeah. talked about Twenty Bucks Fin numerous times on here. Yeah. To I usually try to throw out recommendations of new things that are out for people to check out, and to just help spread the word of the music that's out. But Twenty Bucks Fin, like, it seems like at least once a month they make the list of, oh, like this just came out from Twenty Bucks Fin. Like when Worm came out, I just kept pitching bands from Twenty Bucks Fin that were like, wow, this label like literally doesn't miss a beat. Like, everything they come out with is great
2: yeah yeah i mean um he's done a lot recently and and always i mean there's some things i think that are just forgotten about too like he put out atlantean codex in the united states when no one really wanted to touch epic heavy metal for a label of of his size at that time and you know he put out that tribunal record which is like another debut from a i think they're from vancouver just like epic doom i actually met them when we played northwest terror and was like how did you how'd you end up working with Dave? And they are like, Oh, we just submitted our demo. And so who, you know, not, not like I'm not trying to be like Dave's old, but I'm just saying (laughs) there are a lot of people within metal that like get a little jaded or just kind of maybe if not jaded, you know, like the excitement of bands that are new, it can kind of fall off. And Dave has not just, done a good job of like staying on top of new bands. Like, I think he really gets excited. I think he likes working with younger people too, Um, just because the old kind of like, like the demo was better idea, you know, like that really kind of stems from how ambitious uh and like amazing bands can be when like they start the fire, you know, and it hasn't gone out yet. And so I think he likes to kind of see that stuff through and pass on his own excitement for it it's just very cool thing for him
0: it's nice to see when people cuz i've noticed there's a lot of each generation has its own bands that people really stick with like there's people who stick with metallica maiden you know that sort of thing and then didn't really diversify past that and then there's people that stuck with Cannibal Corpse and Deicide and then you know just didn't really branch off past that because they're like this is what i like this is what i want to hear. So but to me like as a fan of music i'm always looking for that next thing that is reigniting that excitement of hearing those projects for the first time because after i listen obsessively so i'll play the shit out of something until i'm like oh, i need something else new to listen to. So i'm always looking for like that spark of Oh my God, this is it like and that's what Majesties and both Majesties and I did for me because I actually wasn't really too familiar with Obsequiai until looking into you guys's background. So to find both was like a, a double whammy.
2: That's awesome. Uh, have you ch- checked out Inixorum yet?
0: Yep. And Antiverse. Yeah. I even looked I've... at your uh, Project Celestial too. Oh,
2: wow. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. I have a couple questions about that. Actually, I read somewhere that you play harp. Was yeah. that on Celestial or was that on another project?
2: That was in Celestial.
0: Okay. How did you start playing harp? Because that's such a a unique instrument to pick
2: up. Oh man, I'm so sorry for this answer. My mom played harp. <laughs> okay. That's it. That's yeah, cool.
0: So no, no, I that's cool. Like that. I like like piano is probably my favorite instrument. Like, I love singer-songwriters. Uh, people wouldn't expect it, but I love, like, Alicia Keys and just piano players in general, uh, Thelonious Monk, all that stuff. So it's cool to see people that play unique instruments like that. And harp, I've never played a harp, but to me, it seems like something that would be a pain in the ass to play.
2: It can be. I mean, it depends how serious, like, you, if you're really into playing piano. Like, <laughs> its it can also be a challenge, too. Like, a lot of... People like kind of when New Age was kicking off in the 70s, but really like started gaining momentum in the 80s. A lot of people who played piano and sang um, found themselves playing harp. Like Kim Robertson is one from Wisconsin. Like she's magnificent. And yeah, it's really just kind of like the only difference is like your right hand, you know, because like your pinky is naturally going to sit on a higher note on a piano you know on mm. your right hand whereas on a harp it's just transposing the piano keys diatonically you know to a full carp like just all the white keys and then your pinkies on a, a lower part so really like people who play piano have a, a very easy time on um, picking up harp it's <laughs> that's kind cool. of
0: interesting because i wouldn't I, you wouldn't think that on the surface but it makes sense
2: yeah yeah and of course like orchestral harps are something i think that if someone's like oh how did you end up playing orchestral harp like that's a question for someone that you might as well just ask like how many horses does your family own you know, <laughs> where do you where do you summer you know yeah. like because those things are like they start at thirty thousand dollars Full harps are like um you know pretty affordable a lot of people like rent them or rent them to own them and stuff so it is exactly what it sounds like it's for people so they tend to be more affordable
0: well, I think it works in your favor though, because with the the genre of metal like that you dabble in, I think it could be tied into relatively easy. Like I could see a harp being in a breakdown of an of Sequoia song.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean it'd be cool to to like explore how those things could work more as opposed to just kind of you know being kind of like bookending groups of metal songs and stuff
0: yeah what about you carl do you happen to play any random instruments like recorder or anything out of the ordinary well
3: no but i did and i have tanner to thank for this is that uh i've been dabbling in hammered dulcimer and i i would not say that i am in any way qualified to perform in front of people with it but it is a really cool instrument that i've enjoyed just trying to figure out, but I'm, I'm very much a beginner. I'm not, not, I would not call myself a player, just more of a, a you know, very early stages of trying to understand how it works.
0: Yeah. I mean, you got to start somewhere. You ain't going to pick it up and be a pro at it. Right. Did you believe I have this right, but you wrote all of, most of the lyrics for the majesty's project, correct?
3: Yeah. Except for the, the opening song, um, which was a, uh, more of a collaboration with Tanner and I on writing it. But yeah, everything else, I think mostly, I think those were lyrics I came up with.
0: Did you have any particular inspiration when you were writing lyrically, or was it just kind of you had the idea of the vast reaches unclaimed, like we just talked about a little bit ago, as the theme for the album, and you kind of circled around that?
3: Yeah, it, there's a, there's something specific about the, the kind of melodic death metal that we were wanting to hear and and that's there's you know a lot of those early records that that i really fell in love with had a lot more linear songwriting so it wasn't just verse chorus verse and the sort of standard rock format Mm -hmm. but it was you know the the riffs kind of evolves all the way through the song and you might have some things that come back but it wasn't really that same rock and roll song structure that that i i think of so much with other stuff that i've uh written so it was fun to to write lyrics that go along with this style because it. Made, I felt like they, all the songs had a beginning, a middle, and an end, and and it, it really lent itself well to writing little stories that kind of had a beginning and an end rather than you know just be completely abstract or more of an emotion. So that you know, I I that was sort of a fun challenge to write that way, and you know, other than that, that the structure was really just come up with stuff that takes me out of the day-to-day and into more of a, you know, a fantastical world. That was really the only only guideline that I I'd set for myself. So, you know, the, the songs kind of have, you know, a, a fantasy element to it and a little bit of escapism. And I think that really works well with with what we're doing. It's meant to feel bigger and uh, you know, more majestic than everyday <laughs> life in a, in a way.
0: Yeah,
1: is that kind of like where the the vast reaches unclaimed kind of comes from I like the title
3: yeah, that's just a that's a lyric from from one of the the songs because it sounds um, like
1: another dimension or something you know that you're trying to see
3: yeah, exactly and, and that it's that's all all it's meant to do is sort of evoke a sense of wonder and that's you know that's the same feeling. I had listening to some of those early, you know, Gothenburg records for the first time is that I just had this sort of, you know, m- magical feeling of flying while I'm listening to this stuff. And 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 that's really all that I, I was trying to revive for myself in this, that we wanted to put our own stamp on it and not sound exactly like anything else. So I, I think that was one way for us to do that is to, you know, kind of have these fantastical stories make up bulk of the the lyrics um you know it was really just kind of how it worked out for me as far as writing was just that that the structure helped me feel like i could write these stories from beginning to end
0: what was your earliest exposure to mellow death that you can recall
2: you want to go first carl
3: sure so i my teenage years were in the late 80s and early 90s so the the, I got to listen to the earliest days of thrash and death metal but you know right when it was new it was in my most impressionable teenage years so and I I was a fan of you know traditional heavy metal before that so I heard all of this stuff finally coming together when some buddies of mine who like the three of us would like you know someone get a new tape or cassette because I was still buying tapes back then we get a new tape or CD and we'd share it with our other buddies. Hey, I just got the new, uh, new carcass. And we, you know, we enthuse about it together on landline phones. And one of my, one day the guys called me and said, we just got this comp. It's the wrong again records comp and you've got to hear it. It's amazing. You'll love it. And one of the guys, a good friend of mine, Mike, he said, I got two words for you in flames. And he played the the song that they have on that, uh, that comp, which is, Ever dying from their their subterranean EP, and I was hooked, and that was exactly the sound that I wanted to hear. It was all my favorite elements of extreme metal kind of coming into to one package. And from there, it was just a lot of trying to chase that stuff down and get import copies of that because I couldn't find it just walking into you know most record stores unless they were you know really specializing in metal, which we did have a couple places like that. It took a lot of digging, but I was chasing down dark tranquility and, you know, just anything else, you know, at the gates that had sort of that vibe to it. And it was uh kind of fun to be there right as that stuff was was coming out.
0: Yeah, most definitely. I didn't catch on to the, a lot of that stuff till probably 2001-ish. And I was about 11 or 12 years old yeah. then.
1: so I'm a little older, so I was around for some of the dark tranquility stuff.
3: It was cool to see it. You know really come out as a as a new thing that was that was a lot of fun and i I feel pretty lucky to have had the chance to get excited about it when it was fresh and new and didn't really even have' a, have a name yet yeah, wasn't just, a, wasn't a genre on its own it was just death metal
0: right to see something from the rise and then be to you guys are kind of like the revitalization of that era at this point really so that's cool that you were around from the beginning and now you're helping bring it back to life because i feel like with the success of this record you may have some people that are trying to follow in your footsteps
2: there are, yeah there are definitely bands that have been doing this for a while too like we're not alone <laughs> you no, know? no,
0: i know that but i'm just saying like you guys are like the hype right now around the genre
2: yeah, gosh, that's weird. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, um, Tanner, what about you? What was your early exposures to Mellow Death?
2: I think, yeah, I mean, I guess for context, too, um, I think the first issue of Metal Maniacs I bought was in 1996, and 97 was really the year that I was, like, you know, employed in buying things. So I know I heard Stand Blaze, I'll never forget, that uh, that was at my good friend and bandmate nick korean's mom's tattoo shop and one of the guys there was in a local death metal band and i just remember like really liking it and thinking the vocals were obnoxious but uh i had then started reading more and then i um initially had gone to a store called root Cellar records it was the first store i went to before the one i worked at and i bought in one go I bought Dark Tranquility Skydancer, My Dying Bride's Trinity, which is like their first three EPs. And I just remember Skydancer being like, What the hell is this? You know? And Carl, I don't know if I ever actually told you this. And if I have, uh I don't I'm sorry, but Mike Paradise, the drummer for Antiverse, worked at this record store called Down in the Valley near the house I grew up in. And I remember going in there and actually like looking for anything I could find on, you know, like relapse or a nuclear blast i'd had luck like even at the mall like i bought tales from the thousand lakes at the mall weird <laughs> was funny and it, yeah it, was, it wasn't like some of that stuff like the relapse stuff was not as uh, it's underground but like you could you could buy it practically anywhere you know yeah and i might as well have been a sam goody i don't know if that's what it was but like <laughs> when i went to down the valley i was like asking about some of these bands and mike paradise was like oh, this is the best death metal record ever. And he was brought me to At the Gate, Slaughter of the Soul. And at the time, I just remember thinking like, I don't know if this guy knows what he's talking about. I I not only didn't buy it, but I made a special order for In Flames. And I special ordered what I thought was the subterranean EP, but it was the, I think it was the Black Ash Inheritance, um, the shaped CD. Oh, yeah. So happy when it came in, but also disappointed that it was only a couple songs, you know, and it cost thirty dollars. Oh. <laughs> so, but yeah, I don't know. I was—it's I, hard to like pinpoint exactly. Melodic death metal is just—it was, it was very popular in the underground. Like, I think you'd find Dark Tranquillity records right next to Impaled Nazarene records, uh, you know, at any underground shop. So I was kind of like—I guess—fortunate to be kind of entering at a time when like experimentation was happening with sort of like merging what was Black Metal at the time, Second Wave, and what Death Metal was sort of becoming after its kind of peak in 92.
0: Did you happen to check out any of the newer At the Gates releases or no?
2: Yeah. Um, I actually still don't like slaughter of the soul and I don't have any problems with it. I'm just saying like when I'm going to records to listen to you, I still don't like that style of melodic death metal. I thought that I don't like aggression or that like if someone put it on, I wouldn't tap my foot and be like, Oh, this is, this is actually awesome. Like I probably would do that. It's just, I've, I've never in my life uh, since owning that record, like just wanted to reach for it. The same with most melodic death metal that sounds like it. And I just, kind of have always gravitated more toward the adventurous stuff, you know?
0: Yeah, the not-so-ordinary household name. Well, I don't want to call it a household name, but like a mellow death household name, you know? Those are obviously the bands that people know about immediately in that genre.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I still think in some ways I I definitely reach for household names now, like Dark Tranquility and Flames. And I I know I've said this a lot, like, in other interviews, but, like, A Blaze My Sorrow, like, that was a huge one, If Emotion Still Burns, like... That's a still a very celebrated album, but there are enough ideas in that that, like to this day, I'm still like, what, <laughs> you know? It's mind blowing to me, as if Skydancer didn't have those ideas either.
0: Did you happen to listen to the new
2: In Flames?
0: Because I haven't listened to an In Flames record since I believe Come Clarity is where I dropped off at.
2: I dropped off. I think. Uh, Clayman or Colony. I was disappointed in both. And I've recently revisited them and been like, wonder what my problem was. And then I probably remember like how many great records came out that year. And Mm -hmm. I just, wasn't listening to new in flames anymore. So I never checked out any of those other albums, but I did listen to the new one or rather like the two or three singles, just because people are like, this is a return to form and I did not think it was. Um, yeah,
0: I didn't either. And I've heard a lot of people say that too. So, and that's why I revisited it. Cause I was like, Oh, maybe it'll be like a uh, clay or Jester Race, or, you know, something like that. Like, but it just one, I don't think it was done very well. Uh, as far as the production goes, it's very muddy and quiet
2: yeah i don't even remember i to be fair i listened to it on youtube you know like that's oh, okay. I was watching so that's a hard oh, reference point. <laughs> <laughs> but like the halo effect i mean talk about something that like maybe seems like a paradox of like why don't you like slaughter of the soul you like halo effect because it's ag- aggressive but it's not like it's not though i mean i feel like it's more like pop music so i just want aggression and things from other kinds of music than melodic death metal typically and Halo Effect, even though it's definitely more reductive than the things that they did in the past, it recalls them in a way that showcases like how great they are. I'm sure to like younger people, like why is this melody special? I hear like this kind of melody all the time, and here's just for Dormba. Like I'm the reason you hear that all the time, you know. Mm. But I thought that record was great. I, I know Carl feels similarly.
3: Yeah, it's it's a good example of where. People in these long-running bands have kind of had to move to uh, to balancing sort of the wilder song structures, that maybe they started off with more streamlined kind of, they're structured like a pop song, almost, you know, verse, chorus, bridge, solo, and, and that's cool. And they did a really good job with it.
0: Carl, did you happen to? I'm going to ask you the same question. Did you happen to listen to any of the newer albums by the the big three bands? I guess I'll call them. Or were you kind of in the same boat where you were just like, ah, I got to this point and just went on and ventured into other stuff?
3: I have listened to all of them. I think I think I've stayed. You know, I've at least given a, one or two listens to every record that all three of those bands have put out, and to you know, to varying degrees, I like them. I don't have uh, any. Major problem with them. It, it's just not, it feels like they've all had to pivot a little bit to, you know, make a, a 30 year career out of being a band. And that's, that's fine. I understand it. It's just, it maybe doesn't give me the, st- the sense of excitement that some of their earlier records do, but that's fine. I can't really think of that many bands that have been around for that long where I, I want to listen to every one of their records all the time. I mean, it's usually yeah. the, I, I hate to say it, but it's the first couple records that sort of you know either make you decide to love or love a band or not. And when a band kind of shifts away from that core sound a lot, it can be hard to hard to keep up the same level of enthusiasm. But I do, you know, I, I did like you know the new In Flames. I like the new drink, Dark Tranquility and At the Gates. I I've enjoyed listening to them.
0: Yeah, it is hard to keep that up for that long. Like, if you're a band going as far as thirty years in your career, forty years in your career, whatever. I mean, you're gonna have some fall off points. At, typically, there's not many bands that can say like, ah, yeah, we started off like shit, and then by the time we reached our fifteenth album, we were amazing. <laughs> it usually it usually goes backwards from that. Like, either you start off with three, four good records, in some cases only one or two, and then you kind of change as people as musicians your career evolves into whatever it goes to and then it just it takes its own course
2: yeah I mean it's really weird to think that like in Flames and Dark Tranquility don't even have original members left or like in Dark Tranquility's case it's Michael Stone, but originally he was the guitar player not the singer mm. you know or like in In Flames case uh, Anders Frieden sure he was like the first proper vocalist when they were like not just all of jesper's friends helping out or session musicians but it's got to be really hard to like reclaim roots that you maybe don't even feel like you have a right to in Inflame's case because i think i haven't read it for myself but i've heard that someone um had said that about the press release where they had struggled to make a record like the one they just did because they didn't they just didn't know if they would feel right about it <laughs> um probably because of like the direction they went in so It seems like it's had really a good response. Even if it's been polarizing, it's got people to pay attention to them more. And of course the serendipity of following up that record for the people who may have been disappointed in a return to roots, you know, like it's been really fun to kind of like lean into that and, you know, be the pretend answer to it. If not the, you know.
3: Yeah. We did not plan it that way that I will say that it just was a weird coincidence that, our records came out so close together.
2: Yeah, we really have to thank Inflames for that new album because I think we capitalized on people's <laughs> feigned outrage.
0: It, right? Yeah, it was like they visited, uh, I don't even remember what the hell the new album's name was, but it was like they checked that out and then they were like, eh, this ain't, this ain't it. And then may have stumbled across Majesties and they were like, oh, this is the return to form that we were looking for. This is what we
3: wanted to hear. like i hope that never you know we never intend to make like show up anybody up at their own game that's like the last thing that we want want to do so i don't i don't want to make them feel bad if (laughs) we were trying to do this as a as a you you guys aren't doing it so let's us do it it has nothing to do with it we were trying to make something that we wanted to to listen to and we felt like it hadn't been done in quite this approach for a little while so
0: that was that was great Carl, I heard in another podcast that you were on that you are friends or acquaintances somehow with the owner of Ferret Records. Another Carl?
3: Another Carl. Oh, yeah, yep, yeah. yeah. Yes, also Carl. He and I knew each other from time in the hardcore punk scene, and he had put out some records that uh, some friends of mine and uh, local bands had, had uh, worked with him. So yeah, I do know Carl, and I remember when there was, I uh, think it was, boy, I, I want to say it might be Reroute to Remain or Come Clarity, I can't remember which one came out on on his label, Ferret. And yeah, that I know was there really, was
0: one in Flames album that did, I don't know which...
3: Yeah, that was really bizarre. I, I remember I went to, I was at, at work. I worked downtown Minneapolis, and so I could, t- I could take the Skyway over to a Target that still sold CDs, and I bought that In Flames record on Carl's label at a Target store. Yeah, that Which probably really- blew you away, hey? Yeah, that was wild. So were you in
0: ever in any hardcore bands or anything of that style yourself?
3: I, I was in a band called Threadbear. Um, that was around from 94 93 to 96 um, and we had a couple records that came out and did a little bit of touring um, but then it just sort of burned itself out uh, pretty quickly and, and I had another project called Krakatoa that was with uh you know another group of friends from Minneapolis and we did one one LP and a seven inch with that so. Those are really the two, the two things that I I did that had connections to the hardcore scene. But I I know I drove my bandmates nuts talking about metal all the time. And <laughs> I think it was clear that I had cut my my teeth as as learning how to play guitar with heavy metal records and not punk. So I I always felt like I was a little bit of the odd odd person out in those bands. But
2: Carl, I can't wait for you to come to Massachusetts and meet the few people I've met. That are closer to our age because, like, some of some of them are like such fanatics of yours that it's insane.
3: that, that is insane. I it, I can hardly believe it, but that's very cool. <laughs> what
0: were uh, some of the early like? When did you guys originally start playing music? I know you said you were young teenagers. Like, what were your first sort of? get-togethers as a band? Like, even if you don't have a name, like, what style music were you playing? Uh, What were you playing instrument-wise?
2: For me, it was, I guess, it was Autumnal Winds. um, But before that, we had a horrible name, and we did not play. We don't know what we played. We played whatever we heard that week. It was just kind of like, (laughs) my gosh, we got four people together that each play an instrument that a band has. How
0: old were you during that?
2: I was 13 yeah, because I know, like, the next year is when we, you know, just all, it was just Nick and I basically like finding people to play with. So, okay.
3: what about you, Carl? Yeah, I was around sixteen, and I did this crash course group lesson thing at Schmidt Music for eight weeks on the learning to play guitar. And I wanted to play Metallica and Slayer, and and that's that was really what I wanted to figure out how to do. I didn't find anyone who wanted to play that with me. I mean, I it, it was weird. That was a time where and kind of, everybody in my high school listened to heavy metal because that was it was just the popular music of the time. But it was not like extreme metal or, any, you know, even thrash was sort of outside. Everyone wanted to play Guns N' Roses and, you know, sort of the the pop styles. Yeah, stuff, I can't
1: so, I can't mess with that stuff myself. Radio. Yeah, and that didn't ever
3: really click with me. So I, I felt like I, you know, had to for a lot of it, it was just, you know, trying to work on my my playing at home and you know, trying to figure things out by ear. It wasn't, you know, there was no YouTube to consult to, to learn how to do it. Right. So I, I made lots of bad habits along the way, but eventually I found people who wanted to play, you know, I, I was just interested in anything that was fast or heavy. And I, I did find people in the punk scene who wanted to play fast and heavy. And now that, that was good for me for many years, even if it was maybe, a little bit. If, I, if there was, there is probably some challenges with me being wanting to, wanting to be more technical or, you know, have more guitar solos in the, the music that we were playing. And a, a lot of times that didn't fit the vision for the other people I was playing with.
1: Yeah, there's no solos in hardcore. What are you talking about? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those no. are breakdowns, sir. Yeah. I do have another Majesties and Obsequia question. So, you guys' guitar tone is pretty, I mean, it stands out quite a bit. Do you use any? particular equipment to get that or is it all kind of post-edit that you get that tone or how does that come about
2: um I guess yeah I don't I don't know what's so
0: it just stands out to me like it doesn't I don't know you you have a higher pitched tone than just uh like an in flames record to me and maybe that's just me that it just sounds that way but no it sounds
1: like that to me too
2: Yeah, like maybe it's just, I mean, we play an E-flat standard in both bands and for a tone, it's usually distortion followed by delay and reverb. Um, Maybe on a computer, I'll add like compression or something like that. But like, I've seen people like online that are like, oh, like you use a harmonizer um, or like pitch. I don't use any of that. And like, I don't know why that's attributed. Sometimes like people that play just will be like, oh yeah, like all the fifths as though like I just play parallel fifths. I don't do that either. I think it's just, you know, when you hear like single notes on a guitar, you know, and then you hear like, like a melody and then you hear another melody over it. Like so long as again, they're not parallel to one another, you're going to hear all the harmonies. You're going to hear the, you know, especially the fourth and fifth as a resolve because in Thirteenth century music, especially twelfth century, like that, your fourth and fifth and unison are where you do that. So that's where those rules come in. Yeah, I I just think because there's a lot of like harmonic movement that people may be assume that there's like pitch in there, but it's really just kind of reverb and because. I don't play guitar expressively like a lot of times when I write melodies, like there might be a little vibrato, there might be like a little bit of like right hand attack, but like generally with obsequia, I don't, I try and like play them as though a voice is singing them. So that that means like, Hey, there's not a lot of string noise happening. It's just this melody. And then on the second melody, the same thing. And then when there are chords on top of that, they're kind of meant to like wash them together. I want those sounds to, to kind of bleed into one another. I don't want like clear separation so that you're like, oh, guitar one is hard pan left, guitar two is hard pan right, things like that. So maybe that's why it might sound like an effect to people because- Yeah, um, how it's mixed. It's, it certainly is an effect, but like even live we've told the sound people, like we use Kemper's live, um, which I don't use a Kemper to record with, but it's the same tone. Like it's the same chain of effects you know, distortion, reverb, delay, I guess there's a noise gate on these. And, um, I guess a cab SIM when it's going to the house, we do fill up the stage with the sound as well, you know? So we're not just like playing to in-ears and like thinking we rule and there's no sound on stage, like not that kind of, <laughs> you know, but like those go direct to house. So of course, like the fire in the mountains thing was awesome because, you know, how I guess I would record it, it is exactly how it was recorded. You know, like straight line out. It's not like you're hearing air between a microphone and a speaker. Yeah. You know, with something like that, you're hearing pure digital tone, which of course a lot of people hate until they're like, hey, that's really unique. <laughs> I like that. So I don't know. Big fan of digital. Yeah. I mean, you
0: do it well. So it, I can see why.
2: Thanks. Uh, Yeah, I just love digital effects. I love digital synthesis. Uh, Love natural sounding guitars. I love people. I love music that's got a strong (laughs) right hand attack and, you know, all kinds of dynamic. I just don't do it with obsequiae.
0: One last question, and this is the question we ask to all people that we have on the show, just because Jeremy and I are fans of numerous genres of music. Like, I'm into jazz, hip-hop, soul, funk, Motown, metal, death metal, hardcore, uh, like, all over the place. Uh, Everything pretty much except I cannot fucking stand polka music or uh, mariachi music, which is basically just Mexican polka. Yeah. Um, do you guys have anything out of the ordinary that you listen to that people wouldn't expect, whether it's like a guilty pleasure thing or it's just something like that you appreciate the musicianship in that's outside of metal?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd say almost exclusively, I don't listen to a lot of new metal. I definitely listen to a lot of electronic music and also jazz. I like McKay McCraven especially recently. And I really like the noise project out of New York. Kyostad.
3: What about yeah, you, I, Carl? I'm a big fan of electronic music too. I mean, I, that's probably one of my favorite things to listen to if I'm uh, not uh, wanting to be actively focused on you know, active listening. So I, I listen to a lot of electronic music when I'm working. And I'm a, I've got a, uh, soft spot for classic rock too i mean i grew up on that that was the first thing that made me think that you know a standing on a stage with a guitar was cool and so i i like some of those those older bands i mean i i can happily listen to journey <laughs> and, and it's it still uh still makes me feel like a little kid and
0: yeah journey uh steve perry journey or pre steve perry
3: you know, I've never really gone back that far. <laughs> uh,
0: you should listen to their first, like, two albums. They're fucking awesome. You, they don't even sound like Journey, to be honest with you. But Next is uh, the main record that's really good. Is uh, That was before Steve Perry got into the band, and it was just the guitar playing on it alone. It makes the record just great. Yeah, I got
3: to check that out for sure.
0: They all have ridiculous hair on the album cover. Um, I can't remember their names off the top of my head because things start to blend together between genres name-wise, but they got this huge 80s hair, and it's it, it's a goofy-looking album cover, but the record itself kicks ass.
2: Nice. You know what's um, kind of funny like about additional listening is, what's the name of... Uh, the dungeon synth man
0: elve. L... I it took me like months to pronounce it right, so I don't feel
2: bad. I didn't realize this till I like just navigated over to this Bandcamp page. Um because I had it I looked it up and then put it away. Um this full moon over Yule Tide Eve. Yeah. <laughs> he played on fucking Thanksgiving and ever since have listened to it. I've listened to every one of these. I can't wait to tell my fiance uh, Paris plays in a band here and uh and she also is involved with dungeons so she's gonna absolutely go nuts that you brought this up because small we small world a yeah lot of it that's crazy specifically listen to this especially the cover of full moon over yuletide eve has been on our living dream tv <laughs> <laughs> so many times <laughs> Ew, on man. like a fifty five inch screen. <laughs> so yeah that that's...
0: just came out like around Christmas time.
2: Well maybe it was Christmas. Of course it is Yule Tide Eve. Yeah. I'm tempted to go get her like she's in the other uh, room. This is nuts. Uh, I just know like my mother was visiting. So like, are you sure? Let me just click on it. I need to see when this is released. Cause I swear she was here. Well,
0: yeah, I don't remember the exact date, but I thought it was around Christmas. But that it could have been closer to Thanksgiving, and it was just Christmas themed, and that's why oh, yeah, I it, was thinking of it that. was
2: released November fourth.
0: Okay, yeah, So, so
2: it yeah, was we Christmas totally themed. had Thanksgiving with this. That's when I first heard it.
0: Wow, uh, uh, he's gonna listen to this and be like, "Oh my god!"
2: <laughs> <laughs> you should, you should know. Like my mother also really enjoyed it. That's why we kept playing this this project. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's cool. Amazing. Yeah, he'll be happy with that, I'm sure.
2: Coming to visit, and she got a dose of Dungeon Synth from your friend.
0: That is so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, he's a talented dude. He's always got... I like his Barrow King project that he's working on right now. It. Um, he's only got one single out from it currently, but I know there's more in the works. I've heard... Uh, him and I talk back and forth quite a bit and I've heard uh, some of the rough recordings of the guitar work that he's done and whatnot. and I'm looking forward to that one a lot. But the Drums in the Deep Wood, the Vallon album, I really like that one a lot. Uh, he wrote that one here while he was uh, visiting a cabin in northern Michigan and it has like that dreary, like dark wood, like wet forest kind of sound to it if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, yeah, it definitely looks like um, like some Alan Lee kind of vibe on the front, or not Alan Lee, um, Alan, uh oh, the Lord of the Rings, uh, guy. The- yeah, that's Alan Lee. Oh, it is. All right. I think so. And anyway, yeah. I have a, a bunch of books of his. Okay, heart, watercolor, and I, I love it. <laughs> but yeah, as soon as we're off this, I can't wait to tell tell her that you guys know this dude
0: yeah he's uh he comes into the shop like once every couple months and he originally pitched to me a project called bone weaver that was just all him doing all the uh, singing guitar drums everything and i get a lot of people that'll hand me projects and like sometimes i'm like I listen to, I listen to all of them, but a lot of the times I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> um, but like yeah. that one I heard and I was like, wow, this kid is fucking good. So then I started talking with him back and forth. And then, like I said earlier, he just, he comes in and he's, it's like, he's got a new project every single time that he comes in and he runs his own label currently. And he's doing really well for himself and for his music.
2: Yeah. I mean it's it's pretty awesome. I was just I just like pointed to my fiance, she's here. Like we listened to this over Thanksgiving, right?
1: Oh yeah. And I think over the you know, further winter winter holidays, I put it on like all the time. Yeah,
0: <laughs> so <laughs> crazy.
2: That's yeah. awesome.
0: That's so <laughs> random that like I mean the I just out of all the things that I could have mentioned that, that would be the yeah, the one weird. thing.
2: Yeah, that's totally amazing.
0: But all right, um, I don't really have anything else for you guys. Uh, Jeremy, you got anything else immediately you want to get off?
1: No, I uh, I think he answered all the questions. Yeah.
0: Tanner, Carl, you guys have anything you'd like to add? Say uh, no. I
3: no, just think thanks for talking with us, and this has this really been a lot of fun to uh, geek out on all this stuff with everybody, so we really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, seriously, like one of the – like sort of best things about putting out a record is being able to like talk to people like you guys and kind of be able to relate some of these stories in here, you know, that it resonates with you or that you've had similar experiences too. It's really fun. So appreciate you having us on. Definitely
0: appreciate you fucking being on our show. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to jump on and, geek out about some music with us. And it's always cool to talk about other musicians. I mean, I'm not a musician. I'm just a huge fan of music and run the store. So, But uh, it's always fun to get other people's perspectives of things and just listen to people talk who also actively listen like I do, because there's a lot of casual listeners out there. And I feel like sometimes if you're a person like me and you're just talking music 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 nonstop. it like it's overwhelming to some people and they're like dude back off like how the (laughs) fuck do you how do you like just live like this to where all day every day is just music related and i don't know it's just that's the only way to live
2: yeah and also it's super cool that you guys are in michigan too because we need to send some gentle hails to the state of michigan
0: yeah, you guys are real close by, so if you're ever uh, if you're ever doing shows in Michigan or Ohio or any of the like immediate areas, we'll um, definitely try to make an appearance down there and sure. say what's up while we're there and maybe BS in person for a while. That'd be awesome. That would be cool. All right, I will let you guys get going. Thank you again for jumping on the show. We really appreciate it. It's yeah, been thank a lot you of fun. so much. You thank guys you. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week.
3: Well, you too. Yeah, thank you.